Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Brett, and I'm doing a pastoral residency here at Center Church, so I get to have opportunities like this to preach, and I'm just really appreciative for it, so uh, thank you all for allowing me to do this. Um, we are in our series of Acts this morning, so if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 11. Um, it's a long chapter, um, so, but we're going to read the whole thing and then unpack it this morning. And we also have it up on the screens as well for you to follow along. So Acts 11, starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the, uncirc- or the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephan traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas uh, went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people, 
And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took, day, this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have graciously given to us. We thank you that we get this opportunity to um, just sit under your word and, and to hear uh, the good news of Jesus in, in this passage. And so I pray, Father, that you would open up all of our hearts this morning, that your spirit would come and, and penetrate our hearts and, and open the, them up to and expose them to the good news of Jesus. All of us this morning need to hear the, the grace and the love that Jesus has for us. All of us need to know the truth that is found in this text. And so I pray that you would help us to see that and to behold the glory of Jesus this morning, that he would be made great. And so I ask, Father, that your spirit would speak through me and that your spirit would just be working in the hearts of every single person here. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So to give some context, um, recap of, of where we've been in Acts. So last week, uh, we were reading from Acts chapter 10, where Peter is invited to a man named Cornelius' house. Now, Cornelius uh, was a, a Gentile, which means that he was a non-Jewish person, right? So Peter uh, goes to Cornelius' house, and he preaches the good news of Jesus to all of these Gentiles, Right? And, and as he's doing that, the Holy Spirit falls on these people. They, they receive the Holy Spirit. And this becomes a sign that, that these Gentiles have now been added into the church. Right, So this is exactly where uh, the text that we're reading from this morning picks up. So you've got the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea. It says that they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Right, They're being added into the church. But this causes tension. This causes tension um, because there were people of the circumcision party, so these are Jewish Christians, and it says that they criticized Peter, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. You ate with them. Now, there, there wasn't any specific Old Testament law that didn't allow a Jewish person to eat with a Gentile. But this was definitely Jewish tradition that was added on later, right? And, and even this idea of if you ate with someone who wasn't Jewish, you, you could potentially become unclean yourself, right? Because Gentiles were considered unclean people. Um, so this was, this was a, a, an old Jewish tradition, right? That, that, um, and what we see is so interesting in this because you've got people who are following Jesus, right? But yet they're still kind of holding on to aspects of their Jewish identity, some of the aspects of the old law and some of the aspects of these traditions that they've created, right? Um, so even though Jesus fulfilled the law, right, he, through his life, his death, his resurrection, he, he brought in a new covenant, 
right? He fulfilled the old covenant, and the author of Hebrews says that makes the old one obsolete, right? We're, we're no longer under the old covenant. So even though Jesus brought in a new covenant or a new law, I guess you could say, um, these people are still holding on to that old law, the, the old tradition, right? So they're wrestling through this. But what's even more important is noting the word criticized in verse 2. Um, so this is actually a word that, that Kevin talked about last Sunday. So in, in Acts 10, uh, verse 20, it says that so Peter receives this vision, right? And it's a vision explaining that he ought to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles. That's essentially what it means, right? Um, and as he receives this vision, the, the Holy Spirit tells him that he is to uh, accompany these Gentile men to go to Cornelius' house without hesitation, now, now the, the Greek word for hesitation here is, is diakrino. And, and it's essentially, as Kevin pointed out, to, to make distinction, right? So he is to go with these men to not make distinction. He is not to make distinction or, or to discriminate between him and the Gentiles anymore, right? That, that same word is the word that's used here in, in verse 2, of the circumcision party criticizing. The word criticize is, is diacrino. So they're, they're doing the same exact thing that Peter was told not to do in regards to these Gentiles, right? So we're seeing that comparing and contrasting here, right? So, so they're, they're criticizing him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. But now Peter gives his response, right? In verse 5, he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw... A vision. So he's going to recount the vision that he had that we just read about in Acts chapter 10. Right? So he says, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. So these would be, you know, maybe a mixture of animals that were clean and unclean, animals that um, the, the Jewish people were not allowed to eat, Right? And I heard a voice say to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Right? So we see how even Peter is, is still wrestling through holding on to aspects of the old law. Right? Even Peter's struggling with this. He's saying, Nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I'm not going to defile myself. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This is, this is a, a huge, profound truth. Because we know that this vision is not just about animals. We know that this is about people. And what God is saying is that he has cleansed these people. He has purified them. Right? And, and, and this is the reality for all of us. So actually... Um, it, later on in Acts chapter 15, uh, Peter's going to recount more of this story in a, in a very brief, summarized version. But he's going to say that, that God cleansed these Gentiles in their hearts, right? So this is a spiritual heart cleansing. And this is the reality for all of us here this morning. All of us are spiritually unclean before God. All of us stand defiled. And we need a spiritual cleansing within us, right? And the only way that we can achieve that is, is through Jesus' work, his, his death 
on the cross, right? That's why in, in, in 1 John, John says that it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses or purifies us, right? And so this is what God is saying. He's saying that I have cleansed these people, so don't call what I have cleansed common. Don't call these people common. So Peter says that this happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. So these men come and they invite him to, uh, to go to the Gentiles' place. And, and so it says, And the Spirit told me uh, to go with them, making no distinction. Right? Again, we see that. Making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angels stand in, the, in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter, he will declare a message to you by which you will be saved. So we talked about how Cornelius was, was seen as a God-fearer, someone who would have been, you know, a morally good person. You, you'd want to be his neighbor, and you'd want, you know, your kids to hang out with his kids kind of deal, right? He's a good guy. And yet, he still needed to be saved. He was still someone in need of salvation, Right? And, and, and so this is a, another profound truth for us because it doesn't matter how much good you have done in your life, you are still spiritually unclean before God. There is no amount of good that any of us can do to be, to be saved, right? So we, we, need, we need someone else to save us, and that's Jesus, right? We just talked about that. Jesus is the one who cleanses us. So even a man like Cornelius is someone who needs to be saved. So Peter says, I, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, do you remember that moment at Pentecost, which we read about in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit fell on all of us? That same thing is what happened to these Gentiles, and that's the confirmation that these people have now been brought into Jesus' church. And, and then this reminded him of what Jesus talked about, and this also echoes words of John the Baptist, that John baptized with water. So this is speaking about John the Baptist. He had a baptizing ministry, and he would baptize people in water. But, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is the baptism that Jesus gives to all believers— it's the superior baptism of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean water baptism is not important, because I know we're Baptists here, at least most of us probably. But um, it means that there is the greater baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what all of us receive, right? This is what all of us receive when we believe in Jesus. And Peter goes on to say that. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ— when we believed, right? This is only through belief. Again, it doesn't matter how much good or how much bad you've done. Just by believing in Jesus, we all receive this baptism. And this is our confirmation as well that we have been brought into Jesus' church. And he says, who is I that I could stand in God's way? This, this was going to happen, right? Or, or you could say that, who is I that I would be able to hinder God? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. They're, they're, 
their criticizing ceased, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So they now recognize that these people have been brought into the church. Now I want to take a moment to just kind of note um, that what Peter's doing here is not anything unique. Peter's not doing anything unique because he's actually just doing what Jesus did. Because Jesus was also criticized for associating and hanging out with the wrong people. Right? Jesus was criticized for hanging out with, with sinners, people who were unclean, tax collectors, right? And so um, we've got a passage in, here on the screen, but in Luke chapter 5, um, Jesus is invited to a tax collector Levi's house, right? And he goes and, and he's hanging out with all these tax collectors, and that was, you know, a big no-no because tax collectors were not considered to be good people uh, by the, you know, the Pharisees, Right? And this is the response. It says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, Jesus was also criticized for hanging out with the wrong people. And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The irony in this is that the Pharisees couldn't understand that they too were sick and in need of a physician, which is Jesus. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so what Peter's doing is just reflecting exactly what Jesus was already doing in his ministry, right? And and this is true for, for, for all of us here, that the reason you're here is because Jesus pursued you, because all of us are spiritually unclean, and Jesus wants to come and hang out with the people that you're not supposed to hang out with, right? He wants to hang out with us. He wants to offer us healing and repentance and forgiveness, right? So all of us are here today because of what Jesus does. He he hangs out. He associates with the people. He eats with them that you're not supposed to, and he offers to them forgiveness, repentance, healing, restoration, and cleansing. So now it continues. Um, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephan traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So now we're going to be seeing the church growing in Antioch. And we're going to see how this is connected with what just happened with Peter's story here. And it says that some people were speaking the word to no one except Jews. But now you've got some people. There were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, the, the word Hellenist in, in some contexts can, can mean different things, right? Because essentially it means someone who speaks Greek. So depending on the context, it could have a, a different group of people involved. So in, in Acts chapter 7, or I, it was, I believe it was 6, one of the two, can't remember. But you, you've got the, the seven people that were chosen um, they were the Hellenists, right? They were chosen to serve and, and distribute to the widows, right? They were Hellenists, so that, in that context, they were um, Greek-speaking Jewish people. But in this context, it's, it's more broad than that. It's, it's, it's Greek-speaking in general, right? Just a Greek person. And so, essentially, this includes Gentiles, non-Jewish people. 
So, so the reason that we're getting these stories parallel is because you see how now that Peter has, uh, through his ministry, through the Spirit working through him, he brought these Gentiles into the church, and now you're seeing other people within the church taking that, right? And they're going to Antioch, and they're saying, yeah, let's, let's preach to the Gentiles now. Let's bring them into the church. And the reason we can be sure of this, that, that this is the way to understand Hellenists, is because of the way that it's contrasted with people who spoke to only the Jews— Right? And now you've got people who are speaking to the Hellenists. So this church in Antioch, it's, it's growing, it's thriving. Right? You've got, it's a multi-ethnic group of Jew and Gentile together. And it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God. So this is what this produces, right? A a multi-ethnic church, the preaching of the good news, you you find grace. You find grace just seeping from this church, right? So he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So this church is just continuing to thrive, right? Right? So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul because he goes, okay, we've got this multi-ethnic group. We've got Jew and Gentile together. And he's remembering, well, there's this guy, Saul, who's got the special anointing for Gentiles, right? So why don't I bring him and he's going to come and help out this, this church in Antioch, right? So he brings them to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, now, this is kind of a fun Bible trivia fact, but now you can say, in Acts chapter 11, I know that's the first time the word Christian was ever used. Um, and I want us to actually pause here for a second to reflect on this idea of, of what does it mean to be a Christian? So I'm not going to call on anyone, but when you hear the name Christian, just think to yourself, what comes to mind? Uh, maybe it's, it's something that you grew up thinking you know, you were taught at a young age, or maybe it's something that you believe now, but just take, take a second and just, just think about that, okay? So, my guess is that if we went one by one around the room, we would all have a variety of answers, right? Um, for some of us, maybe Christian, you know, we, we were thinking Christian is, is you do the things that you're supposed to do, You stay away from the things you're supposed to stay away from, and you go to church on Sunday, and that's what it means to be a Christian, right? It's the things that you do. Uh, Maybe for some of us, it's a set of beliefs, right? Like, you know, this is my set of beliefs here, and everyone who believes at least close enough to to what I believe here is going to the good place. Uh, Maybe you're like me. So I kind of grew up where Christian was almost like a bad word, you know, like, like you didn't want to sound stuffy or stale, and so you'd say things like, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not a Christian. You know, or I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not religious, or I, I don't like religion. Um, which those comments, are, I think, are just really funny. But, um, so whatever that is, keep that in the back of your mind as we kind of dissect this word Christian here, uh, because it has a lot of significance to this text. So in context here, um, it was often that people would be associated 
with uh, who you identified with. Maybe it was like a political party, right? So if you followed Herod, you'd be a Herodian, right? And, and people would get kind of labeled in these, in these different groups. And so essentially what's, what's happening here is that um, th- this church is now needing to be distinguished from the Jewish people, right? Because they're this multi-ethnic group. So you can no longer just associate them as, as Jewish people because, you know, up until this point, the, the church could have probably been associated as Jewish people who followed Jesus or, or the Christ. But now there needs to be a new identity given to these people. And so that's why they're being called Christians, people who are identified with the Christ, with the Messiah, right? So the first thing I want to note here is this idea of what it means to be a Christian is to belong to the Christ or the anointed one. So the Greek word Christos uh, is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one, right? And so, so it's this idea of, of who do you belong to? And so all of us struggle with this issue of identity, right? We, we, we want to latch on to these ideas or, or things that we do and, and say, this is, this is what defines me. This is my identity. You know, it could be politics. Or, or, or maybe it could be sports. You know, you're really good at something. Or for me, it's music. So I'm like the music guy, right? But what can happen is we can make that thing also our identity in Christ, right? To be a good Christian, you've got to subscribe to my political party. Or to be a good Christian, you've got to be a really awesome musician, or I don't know, fill in the blank, right? But we do this. All of us are, are trying to identify ourselves with, with other things than Jesus. And so we need to be reminded of who we belong to. Because the reality is all of those things are going to fail you. At some point, like, I'm going to probably get arthritis in my hands and not be able to play guitar at some point. It's just going to happen. I get old and whatever. But, you know, like, these things are going to fail you. And so those are not what you belong to. Who you belong to is the anointed one, is to Jesus, right? But I want to press even further on this idea of anointing. So, so Jesus is, is considered the anointed one. Um, but this idea of anointing actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament. So if there was someone who was called to a specific task or purpose by God, they were set apart, um, you, you know, think of like the priests or the kings, they would be anointed with oil. It was kind of this whole s- ritual s- symbol that you, you are now being set apart for a specific task by God. So, there, but there was also with the Jewish people, they anticipated that there was going to be an ultimate anointed one one day that was going to come and restore all of God's people, all of humanity, right? So they were anticipating this future anointed one, which we know is, is Jesus. This is why the New Testament authors are constantly referring to him as Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. They're saying he is the one who is the ultimate anointed one that we've been anticipating. But Jesus wasn't anointed with oil. He was actually anointed with the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts chapter 10, 38, Peter explicitly states this, 
that, that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit with power, right? And this happened at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus is baptized, you've got the Spirit descending on him like a dove, right? That was the moment of Jesus' anointing. But I want to push even a further, and, and we're moving a little bit out of the context, but I think it makes sense in, in this passage still, that we belong to the anointed one, but then we too now have been anointed. In 1 John 2.20, John explicitly states this, saying, you have been anointed by the Holy One. So, so in the same way that Jesus was anointed with the Spirit, we too now have received this anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul kind of makes that explicit in 2 Corinthians 1, where he's like unpacking this and saying, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? And he says that we have been anointed by God. The reason this is so significant is because if we're going to read this chapter, as, as Peter is just a great man of, of a hero of faith, right? And you need to be more like Peter. Or you need to be more like Barnabas. Or you need to be more like the church in Antioch. Then, then we're either going to feel shame or, or be guilted into trying to, to, to work our way to being like these people. But the reality is Peter was just an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary man who was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see that about the church in Antioch. We see that about Barnabas, right? As you go through, the Holy Spirit's just, um, just filling this text, right? Or even at the end here, you've got Agabus. He's a prophet, and it says that he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine, right? It was by the Spirit that, that, that he was strengthened to have this prophetic word. Or you've got Barnabas. Um, when it says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, that's not just giving a little side note of, hey, look how awesome Barnabas was. It's actually describing the way he was able to be glad and to exhort the people. It's saying because he was full of the Holy Spirit, he was able to be glad and exhort these people. The Holy Spirit gave him that ability, and through that, many people were added to the Lord. You see the church in Antioch, it says, the hand of the Lord is with them as they're preaching. This is the, the power, the divine power of God moving with his church, the Spirit working with them, right? And you see this even with Peter as he's talking about Pentecost, right? This is essentially the anointing of of the Holy Spirit for the church, the baptism, right, that he's talking about. And the same thing that's extended to the Gentiles. So this is all of us, right? And maybe you're feeling defeated in, in, in your walk with Jesus, or maybe you're, 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 you're feeling shame because you don't talk to the people at work about Jesus, or whatever that might be. You need to be reminded that it's not about you, it's not about what you can or cannot do. It's about Jesus empowering you through his spirit because he has anointed you with his Holy Spirit. But then the third thing, and we've already talked about this, is that to be a Christian is to reflect the anointing of Jesus. This is exactly what Peter is doing by hanging out with the wrong people. Right? And, and so um, I want us to look at one more passage here in Luke chapter 4. So this is Jesus. Um, he's going to the synagogue on a Sabbath. And just so happens that he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. Um, and he just so happens to read this awesome passage that's about him 
because all of it's about him. And um, this is what he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he goes on to say that this was fulfilled as he's reading that, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of this. But what's so important here is is that it's the anointing of the Spirit upon him. To do what? To proclaim good news to people who are poor. To proclaim liberty to people who are in captive. To, to heal and recover the sight of those who are blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. So what we're seeing here in this chapter of Acts is reflecting the anointing that was on Jesus and what Jesus did, right? So, so again, it's this idea of we're just reflecting and imaging the glory of Jesus. We're not doing anything new. And, and, and this should be such good news for us because it's, it's not about us. It's about Jesus, right? We talk about how this book is, is, the, is not just the acts of the apostles, like the apostles doing great things. It's the acts of the risen Lord Jesus as he's working and moving and empowering his people, right? And we can see that in our own lives. The reason that we're here is, is because of God's Spirit moving and working within us, because Jesus did all of this to us. The only reason, you know, Peter can actually even do this is because he experienced it himself, right? I mean, you even kind of see how, you know, you've got these Gentiles going through their experience of faith, but you also have, have the, the, the Jewish Christians kind of learning and going through their own journey of, of being redeemed as well through this, right? At first they're scoffing, they're saying, how could these Gentiles be brought in? And yet God's even working through them. There's grace in this too, right? And so this is all of us. The only reason we can ever do this is by recognizing that Jesus proclaimed good news to us while we were spiritually poor. While we were held captive to our sin, Jesus proclaimed liberty. He set us free from from that spiritual oppression. He, He gave us spiritual sight to see him. Now, on one hand, though, all of us do still struggle with being kind of like the, the Jewish Christians in this passage. You know, there, there's people within our lives that we look at and we think, I don't know how God could ever extend grace. I'm, I'm speaking to myself here too because I catch myself doing this all the time. And, and, it's, and it's gross within me, right? And, and I know that we do this because um, I hear this often. You know, someone will describe a, 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 a horrible crime that was committed. And I've said this before too, and I'm sure some of you have, but, but the comment is, I don't know how anyone ever could do that, right? And when we say that, we're essentially saying, I'm, I, I'm so much above that. I'm so far removed from what that sin is, right? And in the same way we're acting, we're saying, how could God extend grace to someone, Right? 
And, and we too need to have this experience of, of redemption just like the Jewish Christians here. There's people in your lives, and, and you're probably thinking of them right now, that you're thinking, man, I don't know how God could extend grace. And, and so maybe we read this passage and, and, and we feel so far removed from it because we think, okay, it's the, it's the Gentiles being brought in and, and, now, and now, you know, we're the Gentiles, right? And so praise God for that. And we should praise God for that. But I want us to, to have just a, a real-life example here. Um, well, I guess this is real life, but a more modern example uh, of this, just to kind of land the plane, I guess, here. But um, So we're going to watch a, a short clip from a new movie that came out, The Jesus Revolution. How many of you have seen it or heard of it? Anyone? Okay, yeah. It's an awesome movie. It's great. I highly recommend it. Um, if any of you don't know what this movie is about, it's about the Jesus movement that took place in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. So you've got, you know, the hippies that were the sex, drugs, rock and roll lifestyle, right? And probably the lost cause to the church. Um, and yet somehow God's spirit uh, began to miraculously move in the lives of these hippies, right? And so um, this movie is kind of documenting uh, what, what took place with that. And so we're going to watch this clip, but to set it up, um, essentially what, what, what takes place is there's this pastor, Chuck Smith. So these are real people and their, and their stories. Um, but there's a pastor by the name of Chuck Smith, um, and these hippies are starting to come to his church. And it's causing tension with, with him and the congregation. Um, and they're saying, if, if you keep letting these hippies come in here, you might lose your job. And, and as they're protesting, one of them scoffs and says, even the, even the you know, hippies are barefoot and, and their feet are ruining the carpet of the church, right? So that kind of sets up this, church, this clip here. What is going on? Statue of Liberty. And I read those famous words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. And as I read those words, I thought, well, that's Christianity, isn't it? It's the essence of it. An invitation to the broken. Jesus was very friendly with the outcasts. In Revelation 22 it says, but the one who can hear 
Say, come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the waters of life freely. This place, it is yours. Understood and judged, this is where you belong. If you feel ashamed or trapped in something you've done or are doing, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. should just watch the whole movie. It's so good. Oh, man. But there's a real-life example of you've got these people that were unclean, probably literally as well, uh, but spiritually for sure. And they're receiving this unique gift of God's grace And you've got some people who recognize this, right? And you've got others who are kind of scoffing. But even as you you go through the movie, you see this journey. You see how uh, Pastor Chuck Smith isn't just so easily um, convinced of this, right? he's, He's kind of scoffing in his own way too, and he's kind of going through his journey of faith, right? And so all of us have been in that place or maybe are in that place. But the only way we can experience redemption is that is by remembering that Jesus pursued us when we were unclean. Jesus comes to set us free, right? So all of us are in need of God's grace. And so this leads to our gospel application. This is not about what we do We don't want you walking out of here thinking, be more like Peter or Barnabas or the church in Antioch or or, or do more and better things to be a better Christian. We want you thinking about Jesus and what he has done for us, right? For you. So the first one is that Jesus cleanses us. All of us are in need of spiritual cleansing and Jesus comes in and he purifies us gives us a cleansing of our hearts. But then Jesus also promises that he will not leave us, right? As we continue on, he will anoint us with his spirit, and he has. So all of us can walk out of here with assurance that we have been strengthened by Jesus through the power of his spirit. 